good health is a crown worn by the healthy that only the ill can see. Your health really is your wealth. Join us for the next hour as we explore disease and attaining and maintaining good health. This is Dischem Medical Monday, brought to you by Dischem, pharmacists who care. And a good morning to you. I'm Kathy Kayla and this is the Dischem Medical Monday show. Today is Monday the 13th of June. Gosh, and it, we all woke up to a very cold morning and apparently it's going to get a lot colder. My apartment overlooks this park and as I looked out the window, this park was just covered in this beautiful white frost. Have you also noticed that winter has a sound? All of a sudden you can hear the highway when perhaps during summer you can't because of the, you know, it's blocked by the leaves on the trees, the sound coming through. It's, it's so, in, such an interesting time and it really is a time where we are preparing for growth, aren't we? And hopefully in the right directions because that's, that's the nature of winter. Anyhow, this, uh, well, next Sunday, the 19th of June is Father's Day. So I thought, well, you know what, we need to be speaking about topics that are going to support our dads because we love our dads and we love the men in our life. So we need to speak about the issues that might become issues for them. We don't want it to be issues for them. And let's get in some fantastic experts. So a lot of dads are runners. A lot of dads play sport, whether it is golf, whether it is running, whether it is, uh, I don't know, ball sports, whatever it is. So I thought, you know what, let's talk about sports injuries and treatments. So we've invited into studio a podiatrist, Garen Cohen. Good morning, Garen. How are you? Uh, very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's so lovely that you're here. Pleasure to be here. It's been a long time. Yes, it has. Okay, so just give us a, an idea of the most common sports injuries that you see as a podiatrist. Obviously, you're not going to see groin injuries. Well, I mean, you say that, but we actually do. Really? Um, with podiatry and sports injuries, we see injuries obviously relating to the feet and the, the lower legs and the upper legs, even the, the spine. Really? So as long as it's related to the feet and alignment and biomechanics, it can affect any part of the body. So we definitely, even a groin injury uh, can be related to a biomechanical issue. And um, it could be related to a difference in limb length, which is actually a lot more common than what one would think. And if one leg is shorter than the other, you're going to put strain on the shorter side or the longer side. And that could lead to any amount of sports injuries. I know it's going to sound like a ridiculous question, but how would you know if your one leg is shorter than the other, if it's that common? Well, would you know? Well, I mean, you wouldn't really go and just get an assessment for that. So there are signs. Obviously, it can be quite obvious where you can see someone who has got a definite um, abnormality with their gait. But they would know. Funny just enough, sometimes they, they, they don't. They have to be told by someone. You know, you're limping or you're walking funny. Maybe you should go and have it seen to. And they are asymptomatic. So they've left it for many, many years. And often if there is a curvature of the spine or a scoliosis, that can very, very easily result in one leg being shorter than the other. And, and usually that is picked up, hopefully, when the child is still quite young, because that can impact terribly when they get older. So, so, I mean, sometimes you do have symptoms and you go and see a practitioner who says to you, you know, do you know that your one leg is actually shorter than the other? 
can be a bit tricky to, to measure it with tape measures, etc. So we do send for a whole series of x-rays, um, one specifically called a scanogram, and it can pick up and measure exactly one's, one's length of one's limbs. And then as a practitioner, you make a decision of how much you really want to correct that bar. I personally do it relatively slowly because it's something that the patient has had for quite a long time and you don't want to upset everything by putting a, a device into their shoe which corrects it exactly the amount that the x-ray says and you want feedback constantly from the patient to tell you how they're feeling. And a lot of the time, even if you don't correct it exactly as the x-ray says, you will always get positive feedback from the patient saying, I can't believe how much better I feel. I'm playing golf better. I'm running better. I'm able to align my, my swing easier on the tee box. So it can make a big difference in one's life. Are there any conditions where one leg would become shorter than the other due to age? Well, not um, really. it's, it's not usually due to age. It usually tends, I mean, unless one is growing. But once you've fully grown, the only time that you really can have a difference in limb length is when one has surgery. Or degeneration, um, maybe. Yeah, you, can, you can get degeneration, obviously, of a hip and then results in surgery in which, I mean, the orthopedic surgeons are a lot better these days at correcting and making sure that the patient doesn't have a, a limb length difference after surgery. But... Um, Unfortunately, with uh, motor vehicle accidents, can also result in when one leg being shorter than the other. A hip, hip uh, injury, or yeah, hip replacement. Yeah, I mean hip, hip replacement, knee replacements can sometimes result in a limb length difference. Gosh. So that's why it's important for that patient, once they've recovered, I would say about um, eight weeks to go and, if needs be, see a podiatrist and just make sure that their their alignment and biomechanics are up to scratch. Because, I mean, imagine you've gone through, you know, the, the cost, uh, et cetera, of a replacement surgery and you find that a few months or years down the line, you're left with one leg shorter than the other, which can result in huge stress on other parts of the body. Exactly, because it would wear in places that it's perhaps not meant to wear. Yes. I'm Kathy Kaler. This is the Discam Medical Monday. Welcome to it. I'm speaking to podiatrist Garen Coe. Now, listen up. He has 25 years experience just in private practice. He worked with Bafana Bafana and, okay, I'm not sure that's a good thing. Okay, just, I'm, I'm joking, <laughs> I'm joking. When they were good. Yeah. It was good experience. <laughs> it was good experience, right. He's worked with Bafana Bafana and the English teams during the 2010 Soccer World Cup that was held here in South Africa. His sports injuries are his speciality. If you have any questions about podiatry and this could be related to any sports injury then get in touch 34519 that's the text line those texts are charged at 1 rand 50 those sms's otherwise if you have telegram if you have the telegram app you can send a message on telegram either a voice note or you can send a text and that number is 061-895-1019 i'm kathy kayla this is the discam medical monday and uh going to be asking Garen about alignment that's coming up next. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. I'm Kathy Kayla. This is Discam Medical Monday and uh, next Sunday, Sunday coming up the 19th is Father's Day. So we thought that we'd talk about issues and health issues around fathers. A lot of dads are big runners, they might be golfers, they might do other sports, 
you know, perhaps squash. I think spo- squash actually elicits quite a lot of uh, sports injuries. And running certainly does. So we've invited Garen Cohen. He's a podiatrist. He, we've invited him into studio. And he has, you know... He has a wealth of experience, and he specializes in sports injuries. If you have any questions, then please get in touch. 34519 is the text line, or 061-895-1019. You mentioned alignment, Garen. Talk to me about alignment. Well, I mean, if, if you think about it, if the body is out of alignment, which unfortunately during our lives we do a lot of asymmetrical type of sports and activities, from a very young age, we have these kids who are participating in sports where they tend to use a racket or kicking a ball, and it does usually lead to malalignment because you're always going to be dominant, most people, one side compared to the other. So these kids Whether don't... you're right-handed or left-handed, absolutely. basically. Yes. So these kids grow up, and they do develop asymmetrical biomechanical issues and, and anomalies, and um, it's not really seen to because they usually tend to be a, 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 asymmet- sorry, they usually se- tend to be a, um, symptomatic. And um, so as they get older, then they do present with symptoms. It's never too late, but it obviously does take quite a bit of time to, to correct it. Um, usually I will identify the, the asymmetry and we will refer, I personally as a podiatrist refer to quite a lot of physiotherapists, chiropractors, and biokineticists who really do specialize in making sure that that patient is well-balanced. And, um, you know, they say you need to be well-balanced in life, but the body also has to be well-balanced because that really does increase one's risk of developing um, sports injuries. And a lot of the sports injuries that I see usually tend to be due to biomechanical issues, which is obviously our department with the feet, and the legs, and imbalances in the musculature. Um, You'll always have certain muscles which are much stronger than others and tend to work much harder. And that's why I usually try and get my patients to work with, you know, those practitioners who can get their bodies better aligned and better in tune, and they really do reduce their risk of developing injuries in their sport. So as I understand it, now, I'm just trying to simplify this for my five-year-old brain, because if my five-year-old brain can understand it, then anyone can understand it. So, for example, what, you, what, I'm, what I'm hearing you say is that if you have a spin bowler, right, a cricketer, who's perhaps at a professional level, he's never had a sports injury, right? But every time he bowls, of the tens of thousands of balls that he has, that he has bowled, it's going to be developed, he's going to have developed a very specific set of muscles, which leaves other muscles in that whole musk, uh, muscle, <laughs> mus, uh, what am yeah, I trying the, to say? The, the muscle that, group. In that muscle group, that's mm. it. So you've got ones that are very, very dominant in a spin bowler in the shoulder perhaps, but you'll have ones that are less. Sure. Is that, is that, is that right? And yes. So, and so it's, which ones are the ones where you're going to find the injuries? The ones that are dominant or the ones that are not dominant? I mean, it could occur in either. I mean, often it would occur in the non-dominant, in the weaker side. Yeah. But initially, you would probably get injuries in the stronger side because that's the side that tends to be working all the time. You know, so, so the body is quite clever. It will try and compensate for as long as it possibly can. But once it reaches a point where it can't compensate anymore, 
that usually will result in an injury. Okay. So, so let's talk about a, a, a spin bowler, as you said, on a professional level. They usually will have a whole team and they will have people who will identify the fact that they are now using one side of their body much more than the other and there's imbalances and they will be given a series of exercises which they will hopefully do for many, many hours a week to make sure that the weaker side is just as strong as the stronger side and they will be much less prone to injuries. But not everyone has a team of medical experts. Um, so you take you your... You have met our community, right? <laughs> yeah, we have. <laughs> Karen so, Cohen. So, some are lucky enough. <laughs> um, but, so, you know, some, some have to go and look for it. And um, they, they can you know, never really have a team that can identify a problem. So unfortunately, they'll take on a sport and they will sometimes do too much too soon. They'll develop an injury and then they will go and, and seek advice from a medical practitioner who will then identify the fact that their body is completely out of alignment and they need to now and work on certain parts of the body to first of all get rid of their injury and secondly to prevent that injury from occurring you know, in the future, which is very important. So I see a lot of the time patients are happy to sort out their injury so they can continue running or playing squash or playing tennis but then they completely forget about the exercises that they're given. And a few months down the line, they're injured again. And then for them, it's actually too much effort now to go and do those exercises again. So then now they start looking for a new activity, yeah. which is a pity. It is a pity. It happens often. What are the most common sports injuries that you see? So I, I see a lot of running injuries. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the time it is too much too soon. And patients think that the best way to get healthy, get fit and lose weight is to start running. So unfortunately, they tend to be, you know, a bit overweight and they start an activity that is very pounding on the body. And they tend to increase their fitness levels quite quickly. So their fitness levels are good, but their body has not been conditioned to this new exercise and activity. And there's a lot of pounding and stress on the body. And unfortunately, muscles, tendons, ligaments, etc. break down and they get injured and they become despondent. And as I said before, and then that's the end of it. That's the end of it. They give it up, yeah. you know, which which is a real pity, because if they do it properly and they they seek advice and they speak to a medical practitioner or specialist who can. I mean, as podiatrists, we can also advise on on mileage and training and you know based on the patient's biomechanics we can advise on on what shoes to buy and um you know those things I are very realize, very important i didn't realize that podiatrists are kind of brought in on that level as well you sure know, i've always had it in my mind that a podiatrist is somebody who you see when there's a problem not in order to prevent a problem yes yes so i think you're making a very good point okay so if somebody was going to start running how, just as a general rule, what would you do? I'm so, not talking about myself. I'm just saying generally. I mean, uh, so the first piece of advice I would give them is see a podiatrist. Go make sure that you, you are fit for running, that you're ready to start running, that you have the right shoes for running, that you get advice on where you should run. You know, based on one's feet, should you run on the treadmill, maybe get your body more conditioned to the road or to trail. Just go in and um, you know, get advice from a specialist who can even advise you on, you know, a lot of people are going online. 
they're doing couch to 5Ks. And I'm actually finding Which is brilliant, that by the way. <laughs> it, it is brilliant, but I'm finding that I'm seeing quite a lot of injuries even from that. Really? Because, you know, people, everyone is different. Yeah. And um, you can't really follow or you shouldn't follow a generic program. Yeah. Ideally, one should go and get advice on, you know, all those things that I spoke about. And then chances are you won't get injured early on in your training and you'll be able to hopefully eventually go and run an ultra marathon. No, if if you enjoy it enough. You know what? I just wish we had had this conversation a few years ago, Garen. I had run the Jerusalem Marathon. I hadn't. I came back. It was winter. I didn't exercise because who wants to exercise at five o'clock in the morning when, when it's minus, five, I don't know, five degrees outside? And then, you know, when spring was on the horizon, I got myself a personal trainer who knew the history, right, and started running, full out running from five kilometers from day one. I did that for about four days before I had a sports injury, a serious sports injury that took months and months and months to to write itself. Well, your trainer obviously didn't like you very much. No, it didn't, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or possibly thought that, you know, maybe he was he but or she... But one would assume that trainers would know these things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. My first trainer started off very, very slowly, and let's just take it slow and... I'd say, but we need to do more. And he'd say, no, tomorrow is another day. Yes. You know. I'd love to be able to get into the head of a trainer who did that sort of thing with you. Because, I mean, I would imagine that once you're injured, then you don't have a trainer anymore. Yeah, it's a terrible business plan. So, so the plan is really not that good. And, oh. and if they can start you off very slowly and you actually really enjoy it. If you're injured, you're not going to enjoy it. So you'll hopefully be with that trainer for a lot longer. Garen, is there a the best place to run a lot of people running on the roads i mean to run on the, the roads as they are right now you're going to fall and break something i'm convinced of it even walking is not an easy thing with all the potholes and the and the cracks and the it's almost become impossible so i don't know how people are managing to run on the roads but do you see a lot more injuries from run, road running versus something like cross country or where there's different levels of terrain well, I mean, our, our bodies are not really designed for road running. And the asphalt is a man-made surface. And funnily enough, we see far fewer injuries on trail running, um, other than maybe someone falling or twisting or breaking an ankle or standing in a hole. But um, our bodies are actually designed much better for trail running. And we adapt much better to trail running. So with road running, yes, we do see a lot of injuries. I think a lot of it really comes down to one's personal preference. If you're talking about Joburg, I suppose it depends where you live. And I suppose security is also, but, but those things aside. Yeah, yeah, a lot of my female patients will much prefer to run on a treadmill. Yeah. But the problem is if you're training for a road race and you do all your training on a treadmill, that race on race day becomes very, very difficult. And a lot of them don't make it. You know, so you need to train your body for that particular race and that particular surface. But unfortunately, if security is an issue or pollution or, you know, whatever it is, you're going to have to find an alternative because what's the other option is to not do it at all. So it really comes down to, to one's preference. I personally hate the treadmill. I just can't get my head around running on a treadmill for, for too long. Yeah. I find it very boring. So I run on the road and I just make sure that I can go times where, you know, maybe the traffic is 
quieten down a bit and just make sure you take precautions and you run in a group if possible and um, you know you you just got to be careful why you made such an interesting statement saying that you know you've got somebody who's trained for a race on a treadmill but actually gets to the race race and can't do the distance that they've been doing on the treadmill why would that be well well you know you can condition your body to running on this conveyor belt basically yeah it's got nice shock absorption uh, you can maybe increase and decrease the the incline on the treadmill, but, but unfortunately, roads, it's not it's not as hard as the road. It's not as grueling as the road. And the problem is, you if you're not used to all these other runners in your space, and having to stop. And I mean, some of these races we can have thousands of runners. So you suddenly now on your treadmill, you've got your little water bottle in front of you, you've got your TV to watch, and suddenly now you're on the road during a race. You've got runners running near you behind you, in front of you, sometimes, unfortunately, on top of you. And it can be a little bit of a, of a shell shock. It's like I've got friends who train for Midmar, mostly in a swimming pool, in a nice designated lane. And then suddenly on race day, where you've got people no swimming lanes. on top of you, yeah. you know, it, it can be quite daunting. So it is very important to try and train, you know, in, in that environment if you can. Have you ever had sports injuries? You personally, I mean, as sure. someone who's who's run comrades twice, have you, you know, what I, sort I, of injuries? I think I can tick off many, many sports injuries. Really? I personally have had um, uh, RTB, which is a knee issue, which was for me too much too soon. Yeah. Plantar fasciitis, which is probably one of the most common sports injuries so that we see. So painful. It's, it's terribly painful. Yeah. But it can be overcome. And... Um, yeah, so, I mean, unfortunately, most runners who run fairly consistently will be able to tell you that they've had at least one or two sports injuries. If you've had a sports injury, is that area always going to be weaker? Or can you get it back to the point where it's as strong as the side that hasn't been affected? So it depends on you and how you treat it. And and it's a very, very good question because, unfortunately your let's say your your you know recreational type runner who develops an injury as soon as that injury is healed by whatever means they choose they will ignore it they will forget about their exercises but unfortunately if you want to prevent an injury from occurring in the future you've got to really put in the effort you've got to strengthen because there's an there's a reason why you have developed that injury in the first place so there's obviously a weakness or an imbalance or a biomechanical issue and some people look for the easiest treatment and the quickest. A lot of the time, I mean, it's, it's incredible how often I'll see a patient with a sports injury who will tell me the first thing they do is they change their shoes and they can't believe that the change of shoe didn't sort out their problem. And they don't realize that a lot of the time it's actually not the shoe. You really have to be in the completely wrong shoe for that to cause an injury. But also you've got to realize that a lot of the sports injuries are, are contributing factors. And there's very, very seldom one thing that actually causes a sports injury. If somebody was looking for a good all-round shoe, what would be the thing to look for? Do you look for the shock absorption properties? Or do you look for ones that are going to support the prenating or the, 
what's supernation. Yeah, pronation and supernation. Yeah, let's. In fact, so, you know, let's talk about that before we talk about shoes. So, so I think it's very, very important when one wants to start running to identify what sort of foot they have. So generally, if the foot is relatively flat, it will result in in over pronation because everyone does to a certain degree pronate. So when we're talking about over pronation, you know, just for the lay person, we're talking about the foot rolling in. And that so if if there is too much rolling in of the foot, we call that over pronation. And that could cause a lot of stress, even though that sort of foot is a very good shock absorber. It does lead to biomechanical anomalies, because now if you think about that whole chain above the foot where it is over pronating can be affected. So it's the the leg, the knee, the hip, the back. And that can result in in injuries, because think about how many times when you go for a let's say a five kilometer run, that foot is over pronating, which could then result in an issue. Okay, so basically when you look at your shoes, just your normal shoes that you wear, on the inside. Yes, they would be rolling in. That'd be your yeah, your foot would be rolling in, right? So supinating would be the outside. That's right. If it's rolling. And that would the be the higher arched foot. Yes. Okay. And that and that would then go towards the outside, which would result in over supination, which could also lead to a lot of, of problems and issues. Well it makes sense because if your if your feet are out of alignment, then your ankles are gonna be out of alignment, which makes your knees out of alignment, which makes your hips out of alignment. That's right. So like in and out and in and out. Okay, I get it. I get it. So, so it's very important to identify what sort of runner you are. You know, you, you walk into most specialist stores and you say, I'm a pronator or I'm a supernator. They will then have an understanding of what shoe, you know, one, one would need. In terms of cushioning, you know, Kathy, over the years we have had a lot of, of trends. And um, years ago we had minimalistic running where people believed that, that your feet needed to do the work. And they did work for some people. Now, these were shoes that really did not have much support. They had a bit of cushioning, but minimal support. And actually was very good for business for myself and for my colleagues. Because you take your runner who's running in a normal, conventional running shoe, and for some reason they decide with a hop, or someone in their running club tells them, no, you need to go into a minimalistic running shoe. So they continued doing the mileage they were doing. No adjustments were, were made. And they started running in a minimalistic shoe, which then led to a lot of sports type injuries, which we were seeing a lot of. Now we're seeing what's the opposite is the maximalistic running shoe. So there you've got a maximum cushioning with very, very little support. And for some of the runners, it's fantastic. But we also we're seeing quite a lot of injuries as a result of that. So it also comes down to one's personal preference, what brand you like. But it's very important just to identify which shoe in terms of category, whether it is a neutral shoe, which would be for the high arched supinating runner or your anti pronation or stability shoe for your over pronating run. My guest is Garen Cohen. He is a very well-known podiatrist in Johannesburg. He worked with the national South African soccer team and English teams during the 2010 Soccer World Cup. He's here. How else are you going to access 
the information in this man's head but by sending me a message. 34519 is the text line. Those SMSs are charged at 150. You can also send a message via Telegram if you have the app and that number is 061-895-1019. Garen, a message coming through from Mark. He says um, he has recurring shin splints. What do you suggest? So the first place I would look is... What is a shin splint? Okay, so, so shin splints is, I mean, also known as a tibial stress syndrome. It's the pain that you get on the front or sides of the lower leg, or as we know it as the shin. It's usually micro-tearing in the little tendons that occur as a result of stress and strain. So there, there are a number of factors that one has to consider. First of all, you know, what surface is that runner running on? Is the body conditioned to that surface? I often see shin splints in runners who have just started running on the road and their body is not conditioned for that pounding and that hard surface. Or maybe even the incline, I think. It, it could be related to the incline, but then, you know, it, it would be someone who's doing like quite a lot of hill work and running up and down hills. So let's just say for a runner who's just started out running, uh, often I see that there's imbalances also the calves and the soleus, which is a, just a, a deeper muscle to the calf which tend to be working way too hard. And the front of the lower leg, those, those muscles, tendons haven't really been conditioned properly. I think very, very important for Mark is that he makes sure he's in the correct shoe because there are a lot of shoes that, that may have too much cushioning and not enough support. And he's actually, this is resulting in biomechanical anomalies, which is putting huge strain on the shin which is often the, um, what we call the tibialis anterior, which is the, the one that runs down the front of the shin, as well as the tibialis posterior, which I see a lot of runners tend to pick up problems on that particular tendon. And he's just got to make sure that he is stretching and strengthening properly, and that he's stretching properly after his runs. And he must maybe either go and see a, a um, practitioner who could give him some advice on strengthening exercises, but I think a lot of the time it usually re is as a result of too much too soon. What's your feeling on, I know that there's a, there's a gel. I don't really want to give the name because they're not, they're not advertisers. But you can get it at Discam. <laughs> it's, a, it's a special gel that's actually made for racehorses. And people put it on, on themselves if they've been injured. Um, I think it's got menthol and camphor and comes in big tubs. What's your feeling on products, using products on, on yourself after exercise, even if you don't have an injury? I think they are wonderful placebos. But they feel so good, Garen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wonderful placebos. So if you believe in your mind that it's going to fix you or cure you or help you, and the mind is very, very strong, then it probably can. But, um, you know, at the end of the day... It's really one's personal preference. Yes. And um, I don't think that if you rely on that purely to sort out your, your sports injury, and no, no, it does. No, you're not injured, like as a preventative, just to mm. use it generally. Okay. It may help you feel nice afterwards, but um, probably just as good as rubbing, you know, Vaseline. It, it, as it might far be the as massaging it in that is actually more effective. Than Absolutely. Okay, I hear it. I hear it. What's your feeling on Crocs? 
Um, As I a think podiatrist. It's, it's, it's a very good way of, um, of ruining a relationship. <laughs> okay, for men who wear <laughs> socks and sandals and don't want to get married, yes. So, so I mean, let's talk about joking, slip, joking. slops, crocs in general. Yes. I think so we're they have their place. A foamy, a foamy, spongy kind of sole. I think they have their place. For example, preventing athletes' foot in the shower at the gyms. Yeah. Or wearing maybe from the parking lot to the beach a nice short walk. And that's probably about it. I see mashkichim, a lot of mashkichim, who are on their feet for long hours every day. They wear crocs. And, and, I mean, out of all of those, I'm sure there's plenty that have injuries and that have sore feet at the end of the day. Because if you think about it, what is a croc? I mean, you know, we're not targeting crocs per se because there are lots of sandals out there that any, any give foam, no yes. support whatsoever. Yeah. And as I said, they do have their place. But what do we do as, as humans? We take a shoe that is designed for A and we use it for B. So... When I see these kids walking around shopping centers in these slip slops and sandals that are not supporting them well at all, and chances are they're at that shopping center for an hour or two or three, I actually want to go up to the parents and say, you know, you are not doing your kids a service. You're actually doing them a disservice. You know, there are very few feet out there that can handle slip slops or equivalent all day. And the feet do become tired. People think that it's strengthening the feet, but it's not. So, as I said, if you're using those shoes short periods of time and they, they to stop your feet from burning, maybe on the asphalt on the way from the parking lot to the beach or to prevent a uh, fungal infection in a communal shower, fantastic. I have no problem with them. But when one starts using them hours and hours a day or hours a week, they are going to lead to to foot problems. I just realized the miracle it was that I survived my childhood. <laughs> we used to wear slip slops day in, day out, all throughout the summer. Yes, and it was the norm it, in those days. Yeah, I mean, we used to ride bikes, we used to do all sorts of things. So it's not that we were on our feet in the slip slops all the time. Yes, um, and it was convenient. Yeah, so if somebody's going to be standing for a long time, they have a job where they stand for a long time, uh, what sort of shoes should they look at? So, I mean, if they can get away with it, which we're seeing a lot of today, these men and women who dress really smart and then they wear tackies or trainers, mm -hmm. that is absolutely your ideal shoe. In summer, I really, really do like, I mean, and I'll, I'll punt for them because it's a phenomenal brand, is Birkenstocks. Mm. I tend to recommend those to my patients a lot. And then you want to go with your, your health type shoes. You know, you want a shoe that's got a nice construction and it is stable and it's got a bit of cushioning and it fits the foot. Unfortunately, a lot of the time I see people wearing shoes that are too narrow for their feet and they don't realize the problems that that causes, you know, later on in life or even a few weeks down the line. And that is something that I'm seeing a lot of is that patients are just not wearing the right shoes for their feet. They tend to go with fashion and style and that's not always ideal. I remember there was a time when clogs, clogs were actually sold as health, you know, good health, good foot health yes. for clogs. What's your feeling on that? Because they, they clogs have no, they, they have no, I think it depends support, on the they've brand. Got no, they've got no absorption, of sh no shock absorption. So it's not so easy to find clogs, the clog style these days, mm. but um, Birkenstocks have clogs. 
and um, they they really are incredible because they have a, a supportive structure inside and funny enough a lot of the chefs tend to use them yes and they really are amazing shoes with brilliant support i'm kathy kayla this is D- this is the Discam medical monday show because of uh, father's day coming up this coming sunday the 19th just remember make a date huh father's day this coming sunday the 19th of uh, june we thought you know let's talk about something that's a little bit more male centric and uh, i've invited garen cohen he's a podiatrist into studio we're talking about feet any questions that you have about feet because it all starts with the feet they carry us through our lives any questions you have three four five one nine that's the sms line or zero six one eight nine five 1019 on Telegram. You can either send a voice note or you can send a message. Coming up, I'm going to be asking Garen some more questions about feet, so stay tuned. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. I'm Kathy Kayla. This is Discam Medical Monday, and my guest this morning is Garen Cohen. He's a podiatrist. We've got comrades coming up. Comrades. And uh, Let's talk about preparation. Well, I suppose most people have already prepared for it. When is it, Garen? It is end of August. Oh, they've moved it out. They it have used moved to be June. it. Yes. Wasn't it always on the 16th of June? It That's like right. Right? That I, I'm, I'm not, I mean, I'm not running this year. So I think they moved it. I think someone told me that they were always considering moving it a bit later. Um, a lot of people think it's due to COVID, but... Um, I really do believe, and I mean, I'm, uh, I may be wrong, that they, they've been considering it for quite some time. I'm not quite sure why. But um, I think the runners actually have to be careful because it's going to be quite a bit hotter. And, you know, one has to be very careful of overhydrating. I know, I know it's not a sports injury, and, and probably the physicians would be able to talk about this, you know, in more detail than myself. But... You know, you, you always worry as a, as a runner that you're going to dehydrate sure. during a race. Because it happens very quickly. So what does one do? One overhydrates. And there is a condition called hyponatremia where there have actually been quite a lot of runners who have um, passed away as a result. What, what um, is, how do you know that you've got it? And just explain this the first time I've ever well, hearing Well, it. I mean, it happens very quickly. And unfortunately, you know, it can really lead to um, massive complications. And what happens is the brain swells because you are, you know, you, you introducing too much liquids, too much fluids, water into the system. So you actually, um, your sodium levels um, change and you dilute the system. And it can really lead to lots of problems, complications and even death. So, you know, I, I have been telling a lot of my comrades runners, just make sure that you have a plan. Don't overhydrate. Make sure that you speak to the experts and they can actually work out for you how, how much fluids you need to take in on the day and depending on the weather. No, so that's just something that um, I thought I would bring up. It's very important. So is there any way to tell if you are, you know, overhydrated? Well, well one can work out, um, you know, how, how much... Um, in terms of liquids a, a runner needs. Yes. Um, it can be quite scientific. Um, if one is a little bit concerned, then it's important that you go see a sports physician or an exercise physiologist. 
and they will give you a guideline as to you know how much um, to take in on the day in terms of fluids. Okay. I remember having this conversation with somebody and she had been running a marathon. Um, she had run through some water. Her shoes had got wet. And by the end of... I mean, she finished the marathon. By the end of the, f the marathon, basically, the bottom of her feet, it like came away terrible. Yes. Terrible, terrible injury. So is there a way to prevent that? I mean, you, and I'm just, you I'm thinking that, you know, you're running a race. What are you going to do? Nobody schleps a second pair of shoes along. I mean, you can. Uh, I, I remember when I ran my first comrades, you know, with the running club that I was running for, they set up certain tables along the way. You can leave little packs with them. And some of the runners did leave a pair of running shoes. But you know what? Comrades is, is you know, a, it's a grueling race and it's a challenge. And I think at the end of it, if you can overcome all these things like blisters or injuries or whatever it is, cramping, um, I think then you'll have a story to tell. And unfortunately, you can't really think of anything and everything on the day. And you've just got to, you know, accept the fact that there are going to be many walls that one as a runner is going to hit. And you just have to somehow work it out in your mind or however Maybe you've got someone who is seconding you, who can spur you on, who can help you mentally, help you physically to get to the finish line. Lots of messages have just come through. Uh, Darren, hi Darren, nice to hear from you. Darren wants to know, can lower back pain from running be a problem a podiatrist can assist with? Thanks for the question. Thanks, Darren. Uh, yes, Darren, absolutely. Um, we will identify if it's due to a biomechanical anomaly. A lot of the time when I see lower back pain in runners, um, they tend to be sitting at a, at a desk all day and not doing core strengthening, etc. And then they'll go out and they'll run and they expect the body to you know, allow them to, to run in the perfect upright erect position. But they haven't been working on other parts of the body to assist them and aid with this. And, and a lot of the time I'm seeing back pain as a result of short and tight hamstrings or calves or what we call the posterior musculature, which is the back of the, the body, the legs. And um, the runners need to make sure that they are proper conditioned before they hit the road. So is stretching before more important or stretching after? So, so there's two types of stretching. There's static stretching, which usually one should do after sport, which involves no movement. And then you get the dynamic stretching, which, um, for example, if, if you watch football, you'll see when a player is told that they're going to be coming on as a substitute, you'll see them warming up on the side of the field and they'll be doing star jumps and they'll be running up and down. And that's what we call dynamic stretching, which is movement stretching. So I tend to tell my patients that um, they should do your dynamic stretching pre-running and your static stretching post-running. Corin, nice to hear from you, Corin. She's got a question. She says, question for a podiatrist, how do you treat ITB? So what ITB is, RTB? is a, what we call iliotibial band friction syndrome, which occurs on the outside of the knee where the band inserts into the side of the leg. Usually RTB is one of those injuries where we categorize as an overuse injury. So a lot of the time, not always, a lot of the time it is that runner doing too much too soon 
So their fitness level increases and improves much quicker than their body conditioning. And a lot of the time it's also due to biomechanical anomalies. So please make sure that you're in the correct shoes and make sure that you're stretching and strengthening and you will sort out your RTB. There you go. I hope that that uh, sufficiently answered the question, Karen. Yvonne says, uh, Kathy, please ask the podiatrist if you have orthotics in your shoe made to size by your podiatrist or even in your sandal. Is this adequate if you want if you wear the shoe all day? So if you basically if you're on your feet the whole day and you have orthotics that are made that go inside your shoe, they're made for you. Would that be enough to protect you from injuries if you have to stand all day? So, I mean, um, it's, a, it's a tricky question because it all depends why those orthotics were made. Um, you also got to remember that um, I see an orthotic as an added extra. So when I tell a patient that they need an orthotic, it's because they're in the right shoe, but the shoe is not really doing what it should be doing. And they need that orthotic as an added bonus. You know, there's only so much a shoe can do. But I will never make an orthotic for a patient because the shoes are completely wrong and we are trying to turn that shoe into the correct shoe. So, you know, it's, it's difficult to really say um, that that patient would know, sorry, that, that person who, who sent the message would know at the end of each day whether their feet are worrying them or not. Um, what I can say is that please don't wear the same pair of shoes consecutive days. It's very important to make sure that you are alternating your shoes. You can use the same orthotic. That's not a problem. But make sure you're alternating your shoes. Wow. And, and if at the end of the day the feet are still sore, then one would have to really see why. You know, is it the shoe? Is it the fact that orthotics were given and there are no exercises for strengthening and conditioning? Um, the reason why I tell my patients to change their shoes and not wear the same pair consecutive days is, first of all, hygiene reasons. So if you're wearing the same shoe every day, five, six, seven days a week, you're not going to be able to aerate that shoe. So that person is going to be more at risk of, of possible fungal infections and, and fungi and bacteria developing in the shoe. Also, it's important if one has an orthotic to take it out the shoe to let the shoe aerate overnight. And the second reason is that if you're wearing the same shoe every day, you are wearing down that shoe the same way every day. So the shoe's gonna wear down much quicker and you're going to get what we call hot spots. And there's a now chance of you increasing the risk of corns or callus um, or just pressure areas resulting in potential sore feet just because you have been wearing that same shoe you know, many days in a row, so it's the same pressure. Mervyn, thank you so much. Thanks, Yvonne. I hope that that's a good answer to your question. Mervyn weighing in, and he says, one must toe the line to have good foot care. Yes. Thank you, Mervyn. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I think I know which Mervyn that is. Okay. <laughs> I have no idea which Mervyn it is. But, uh, Garen Cohn, thank you so much. This has been so informative. And you're not running Comrades this year? Definitely not. All right. Two is enough. Okay, so, so oh really, so it's not even on the horizon for you? No. Okay, do you do small races or do you just run for the pleasure of it? I run for the pleasure of it. I run for, oh, for me, it is unbelievable clearing the mind, the head. I run on my own. Um, I may run in races, but um, I just like to be out there on my own, listening to 
to my music as well as books and um, it's just food for the soul. It really is and work you know also when you go in the suburban streets and you're looking at the houses and you're greeting people on your way you know what it's it's, it's a different experience. Phenomenal love it. Beats a, beats a treadmill. Uh, just before you go I believe you have uh, you've moved from Santon your yes. practice from Santon to Wendywood. That's right. How's that going? So far, so good. Thank you. <laughs> All, right. All going well. Onward and upward. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. And thank you for sharing Thanks your Thanks for having with me. Us. God bless. That was uh, Garen Cohen. He's a podiatrist. And this has been Diskem Medical Monday. Remember, Father's Day is coming up the 19th of June. That's this coming Sunday. From me to you, I wish you good health. And I will be back on your radio next week. Same time, same place. God bless. Bye-bye.